Um, similarly, uh, you have an inside, you have an unseen dimension. You have a flow of thinking and feeling, desiring and intending. And that inner you or spirit is being formed all the time. Hello, everyone. Oh, my. Welcome back to the Otherwise Podcast, a place for gathering wise conversations on how to live well along the journey with Jesus. My name is Casey. I'm your host. And uh, I do this little bit at the beginning, and you can skip it. Feel free to skip it if you want. And But usually I do it to sort of set up the epi- episode and introduce the guest because sometimes it's someone that is new and a new voice that needs to be recognized. But today it, it feels kind of weird to do an introduction because um, today our guest is John Ortberg. And John has become, uh, he's always been a strong influence on any of us who are walking and writing and reading in this area of spiritual formation. Uh, But I had the chance to connect with John on a deeper level because of a church I was serving at that he was uh, more deeply connected to. Um, It was in the town where he grew up. And so... um, I got a chance to meet John and get a little bit more connected with him and have some conversations. And so uh, it's that has been beyond what I ever thought would happen. Um, but it also has led uh, to this interview and to some other um, conversations he and I have had along the way. If you aren't familiar with John, uh, John is a prolific writer in the area of spiritual, blah, 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 spiritual, I can say that spiritual formation and discipleship. He's written books such as The Life You've Always Wanted, Um, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. Um, They're just, uh, Who Is This Man? A Book About Jesus. He's written so many good books that uh, I can't recommend them to you enough. He's also a speaker at various national conferences, um, wrote a book with Dallas Willard. Uh, Really, he wrote a book that is his book, but it's about the influence that Dallas Willard has had on him called Soul Keeping, which is worth your purchase right now at this very moment. Uh, John is the uh, teaching pastor, the senior pastor at Menlo Church in Menlo Park, California. He's also served in various other churches um, throughout his history. And so uh, today's conversation, when you get a a conversation with a guy like John, um, you just start and you see where it goes. So we're going to talk about Dallas Willard. We're going to talk about stuff that he's writing. We're going to talk about uh, the state of formation and discipleship in, in this country and uh, and everywhere. Uh, so I, I'm excited for this. I'm excited for this conversation. I'm excited for you to hear from John if this is your first time. And if it's not, uh, John is one of the most graceful people that I've ever met. And I hope that you hear that come through in our conversation today. So so now that I've got all the fanboy stuff out of the way, I'm happy and pleased and excited to welcome our guest for today, John Ortberg. John, buddy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, honored to be able to do it. It's always joy, Casey. So what uh, what's going on right now in uh, in California? What's the what's the big news from the West Coast? What do you know? Uh, the biggest news on the West Coast is uh, I just had a grandson. So <laughs> four months ago, uh, the first one, his name is Chance, had a terrible first day, and then the next four months have been great. And it is kind of a reminder that all of the big stories, uh, Supreme Court, politics, culture, whatever. Uh, they're only big because they actually affect individual lives. 
and it's just the life of one woman, one man, one child, one family, that all of the meaning in the universe revolves around. Man. Well, that's a, that's a helpful thing. I mean, we talked a little bit about the podcast is about wisdom, but mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a ton of wisdom in understanding how the small stories are really the real stories and the big stories just collect them all together. And, and we do have to deal with those and make sense of them. But in the middle of all that, there's grandbabies and job promotions. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the ocean and there's these, these giant waves and they look real impressive, but they're just made up of uh, drops of water. And you put enough drops together and you have stuff that looks real big, but without the drops, the bigness is not there. And um, so the, uh, uh, the difference between what's big and what's important and the easiness with which we confuse bigness and importance is probably one of the big themes of Jesus. Yeah. Man, I feel like we could just quit now and everybody just go home, think about what John just said, <laughs> the bigness and the smallness. I don't know. They uh, might be a little disappointed. I'm not going to let you off that easy either. So, you know. <laughs> um, so with the podcast, we I always ask every guest um, this, uh, a question that I think is helpful just for us to figure out where, we're, where we are and, yeah. and to challenge people who are listening, which is... Um, if you had to begin, and you don't have to do the whole thing, but if you were going to begin to define the word wisdom, where would you start? Uh, I would actually start with, I think it was a guy named Tremper Longman, who's an Old Testament scholar, and he writes about wisdom literature. So in the Bible, you know, you have these uh, uh, documents that are written by people in the ancient world that were real... Uh, invested in trying to figure out how to live that's just a, an ancient question that human beings can never get away from how do you live well uh and uh, uh so tremper said that in wisdom literature generally and in the bible particularly stuff like the book of proverbs um wisdom is not so much about iq uh it's not primarily about information it's the ability to make good decisions uh the wise person is the person uh who is able to uh, decide wisely, and then not only to make a wise decision, but uh, is able to effectively carry it out. And so that gets into character. And so wisdom also has to do with character formation. So uh, I would say the beginnings of it would be um, uh, how to make good decisions and how to acquire the character that enables you to live them out. What strikes me about that is that it, it has all the pieces of the of kind of the American dream of how to deal with life or the, just the human dream of how mm-hmm. to deal with life. We we all want to make better decisions. We all want to have the character to stand up to it. Um, but we see we don't see a lot of that either. What is it for you? What do you notice that really gets in the way of of normal people moving into a wiser way of living? <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, probably the wisest person I have known is a guy named Dallas Willard. And Dallas taught philosophy at uh, USC for many decades. Um, he was also really, really smart. I used to joke with Dallas, I would never get into an argument with him because I was afraid he would prove I don't exist. Um, uh, but one of the things that he used to say about life is uh, uh, that life as we experience it right now uh, is actually not normal. 
uh, that what is usual is not normal, that we were actually created uh, to live lives um, that are unhurried, um, where our reflexive response is to tell the truth, um, uh, where we trust enough in the abundance of life that we live with generosity, uh, where we are not particularly bothered if we don't get our own way or have our desires fulfilled. And um, what that means is that, that wisdom, which at first uh, seems quite straightforward, as you get more deeply into it, you realize how uh, unusual it is. So it is a bit like particle physics in that way, although I know we're not going to be talking about particle physics. <laughs> but, um, my son actually is getting a PhD in physics. And uh, uh, one of the many uh, remarkable aspects of physics that we'll talk about sometimes is I grew up thinking that uh, what we call the material world was made up of matter. And that if you get down to a small enough level, uh, maybe electrons and protons, you have tiny little hard bits of substance. And of course, what you find out from physics, as I understand it, is uh, you just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller until eventually you get to energy. There is no such stuff as stuff. And so um, reality turns out to be quite a lot different than uh, what it seems to be on the surface. And I think wisdom is very much that way. Yeah. So it's a collection of things. Wisdom is a collection of, you know, our experiences, our knowledge, our interactions with God and other people and brought to a cohesion, something that we can actually take and live and do something with. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a collection of things. And it's also something that, uh, the more deeply you pursue it, uh, uh, the odder it often will look. So, uh, most of us think I would be happy if I had the things I desire. I remember when our kids were little, uh, I think it was around Halloween, probably after trick-or-treating, uh, my daughter said to me, if God wants us to be happy all the time, why doesn't he just give us what we, what we want? And on the surface, that seems natural. And actually, most of us live our lives that way. If you ask somebody, was it a good day? Uh, what we usually think is, well, if I got the stuff that I wanted, if I got an extra check in the mail, or uh, people complimented me, or my boss, you know, uh, gave me a promotion, or then it was a good day, that it's mostly about circumstance. But of course, any parent, if you look at your kids and you ask, how do you raise a contented child, um, give them what, whatever they want, whatever they want it, is not a good strategy. And we all know that when we're parents thinking about our kids, but we don't think about that when we look at life and us. And so it turns out that uh, if I want to live well, um, trying to make sure I get whatever I desire is not a good way to go about it. And actually what I need to do is um, learn how in a sense to die to my desires or to get to a place where I say, um, whether or not I get what I happen to want uh, no longer matters a great deal to me. And um, uh, that's not a way that we're um, taught to live. There's real smart people who stay up real late every night trying to convince you that if you just, you know, were uh, uh, thinner, uh, had better hair, more hair, better job, more money, 
better experiences, nicer vacation, then you would be happy. And uh, you have to get down to the subatomic level before you realize all of that is as illusory as matter. This conversation, what I'm always, what I'm always shocked by is that I, I'm, I live in an inheritance of ideas and thoughts that have come from Dallas. And we've talked about Dallas on the podcast before of you, James Bryan Smith, other people who have written. And I'm, I'm constantly finding myself encouraged and compelled by that vision of, as Dallas said, this is what normal should be. Uh-huh. And how it how it addresses even as simple as saying, you know, we would never treat our kids the way we want God to treat us. Yeah. <laughs> it's just unwise. So you've had a rich writing career and speaking career and local church ministry. When you look at it, the books you've written and you just finished put out a new one called Eternity is Now in Session and and I'm just I'm excited for the I mean the idea is you hear the you hear that conversation you hear Dallas you hear you, mm-hmm. um, but when you look back at the writing, and the teaching that you've done, in the area of spiritual formation, do do you find an arc to it all? Was there something that was there a story that really guided, mm-hmm. has been guiding you the whole way? Um. Uh. You know, I think about three dynamics. One of it is uh, I've always loved to learn and I've loved to communicate. So there's a way in which I think everybody uh, uh, just has certain crafts that you pursue recreationally. Um, Whether or not you do them for a paycheck, and it might be with your hands, it might involve art. uh, uh, But I think we're all kind of wired up that way. So... um, that's been a craft and, and that's been uh, uh, a delight to me. And then I think probably another dimension to it is um, uh, like with any other activity, there can be a dark side to it. And with communicating, trying to get people to um, applaud uh, with writing, uh, to think instead of what it is that I'm writing, how many copies does it sell? How successful do I become? How much money can I make? Um, that's the dark side, and the farther that I allow my heart to go down that path, the more I'll find myself frustrated, discontent, uh, and envious around that crap. So that would be a second strand. Um, uh, the third one is uh, has to do with the ideas or the story that I find myself writing about. And... Um, Real early on in life, I found uh, questions about why people are the way that we are, why do we change, why do we not change, why is change so difficult, um, what's worth living for. Those always felt to me like the questions that are most important to ask. And that's part of why uh, when I went to school, it was to study both psychology and theology because it felt like at the intersection of those fields, are the questions that matter the most. And so I think always when I'm writing, uh, they will tend to be around those sorts of questions. Uh, And then where does Jesus fit into that? And uh, uh, the idea of story is never far away from that because that's kind of the basic um, unit of meaning. 
And obviously, when you start talking about the intersection of psychology and um, theology, most of our theology is about what happens after. Most of evangelical theology or conservative evangelical theology is about what happens after we die. Mm. So anytime you write a book called Eternity is Now in Session, uh, I'm sure that prompts a whole field of questions from mm-hmm. people who are like, what do you mean by that? So just in summary, because I know you've had to do this anyway, t- talk about what is it that is at the heart, what animated in you to write this, and what are you, what are you hoping to convey as you want to communicate? Yeah, uh, I, I actually have on that wall right there that expression, eternity is already in session. It's, it's something that Dallas Willard used to say. Uh, And it's a helpful corrective. The the book is really trying to take a lot of very important words, salvation, uh, Christian, eternity, that we all think we understand, but often get wrong, and try to clean them up and show how do we pursue life with God. And so uh, often when people hear the word eternity, that's one of those words we can never get away from, and there's a mystery to it. God has set eternity in the hearts of human beings, uh, it says in the Old Testament. Um, but many people think eternity is something you have to wait till you die to go get to be a part of. And uh, they think of eternal life as something that you will experience when you go up there someplace. Uh, when in the Bible, eternal life is actually defined quite carefully, but only one time by Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 3, when he's praying and he says to the Father, this is eternal life that they, that is us human beings, may know you, the Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, eternal life isn't something that happens someday, someplace. It is an interactive, participatory life together with God that begins here and begins now. And so anybody who wants eternal life um, can begin it right now and we do that by becoming a disciple of Jesus and learn how to live uh, in grace with him and so the whole book is really about that what is the gospel what does it mean um, when we talk about salvation how do we begin to live an eternal kind of life now um, uh, that's all what I explore. So I love getting to write that book. It's one of my favorite ones to get to write. So what number book is that for you? How many is that now? Um, it's either 11 or 12, I think. So have you have you felt like, because that's a strong thing to say, is to say this was my, one of my favorite books to write. Have you felt that way about every book, or does this one have a, have a different feeling a different tone for you yeah but you know books are a little bit like children where you know they're all yours so you kind of you don't really have an ugly one um uh this was a little different in the sense that um uh there were a number of particular ideas that i wanted to try to communicate and again uh dallas was especially helpful for me on these ideas although he'd be the first to say that they were not original with him at all they're just ways to seek to understand what it is that Jesus really said. Um, uh, But um, to be able to try to explain those things, especially because they are also uh, ideas that I think are often misunderstood 
in the world and even in the church world and the evangelical church world in ways that um, some of what I wrote about in other books don't necessarily try to clarify often misunderstood concepts. So in that way, this was a particularly uh, meaningful book to be able to write. Yeah. So when we talk about wisdom, we talk about right decisions and character. Uh, talk a little bit about the intersection of this idea of eternity already being in session and how it intersects with a wise way of living. Yeah, you know, uh, time is such an interesting concept. And uh, supposedly, uh, uh, Augustine, who talked about, you know, time is real clear to me, uh, except if somebody asks me what it is, and then I have a really hard time saying what it is. Uh, and then when people would ask him, what was God doing before time began? He said he was inventing hell for people who ask questions like that. Um, <laughs> uh, eternity is a fascinating concept. The other really fascinating concept is now. You know, so eternity, the idea of temporal infinity somehow, you know, that, that is a mystery to us. Um, but now is a mystery. And that thought that there is a past, there is what came before us, and there is a future, there's tomorrow, and I know that I will get there. And then there's this moment right here, and then this moment right here. And uh, I am alive in this moment, but I can't explain it. There's something very deep and very mysterious about it. Um, there's a wonderful book that was written centuries ago by a writer named Jean-Pierre de Cassade called The Sacrament of the Present Moment. And the sacrament is something that's ordinary, but it's made to be the vehicle of the extraordinary. And so that notion that the present moment is a sacrament, that somehow this moment is a sacred thing, and it's possible to find God right here in this moment, and that, in fact, if I am to find God, it will only be here in this moment. And really, the reason that we hunger to make wise decisions, they are really about being present well in this moment right here. Yeah, so that that battles against that idea of, well you know, all this is going to go away one day. And so we, we cheapen things that we experience here and now in light of the sweet by and by where everything is perfect and as it should be, which is, which is good and true, but we forget about the sacredness of, you know, if you're the, the single mom with, you know, spit up all over your shoulder from your newborn, I mean, there's, there's some sacredness to that kind of moment. Is that, is that where you're kind of tracking with that idea? Yeah, I mean, as, as, uh, as best we all can understand it, uh, existence for us will always be existence in the present moment. And uh, right now, we can live in the kingdom, in the will of God, your kingdom come, your will be done. We can live in that, but we live in the reality of other wills that are opposed to God. And so there's pain and uh, baby vomit and whatever else. And one day, uh, there will be no more uh, opposition to God. There will be only his will, only his kingdom, and what is aligned with it. But still, uh, as far as I know, we will continue to experience existence one moment at a time. Each moment will be that sacrament, and it is that way now. 
And so uh, if I do not learn to live wisely in these moments now, if I don't want to live with God in this moment now, uh, I don't know why I would think I would want to live in that moment with him then. Yeah. That is so powerful. That's so powerful because I think it's I think it's more helpful in a lot of ways than the theology of uh, just wait until you die for everything good to happen, but instead to to see an eternal quality of life now is really potent. And that's what I love about your voice because you write uh, from this perspective of this grand vision and story of formation, but you also sit at the intersection because you are a pastor and you are involved in a local church and. How have you seen some of the ideas in the book come to play in your in your congregation at Menlo Church? Have you have you seen some of these conversations pop up, and what was that like? Yeah, I was actually talking to a group of people earlier today. Um, uh, I think when people have wrong pictures of the gospel and heaven and God, it actually gets disconnected from life one moment at a time, and uh, they'll think, well. The gospel is the announcement of the minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven when I die. And I got to have a job done. So, you know, I'll go there. Um, but I'm not really sure what I'm doing with my life right now. And heaven is another one of those words that I get, I get into in the book. Uh, most people have kind of a cartoon picture that heaven is this giant pleasure factory. And as long as somebody gets in, they'll be happy. And then they're troubled because why doesn't God let more people in and be more inclusive? rather than understanding that heaven is primarily about life with God. In heaven, Dallas used to say, God will be very hard to avoid. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we think of it like it's, you know, Oz and he's the wizard. So, you know, he's probably someplace up there. Actually, uh, uh, God is not in heaven. Heaven is in God. God is much bigger than heaven. And uh, uh, that's a little bit sobering because... Uh, if you want to sneak away for a quick cigarette or a little lust or envy, where do you go? Um, and so talking with people about uh, actually the gospel is not uh, the minimal entrance requirements for getting into the pleasure factory. It is that life with God is available right here, right now. And um, you can have that by grace if you want to. And the way that you uh, enter into it is by becoming a disciple. So right now we're having this conversation. How do I just open myself up and say, okay, God, there may be something that you want to say. There may be something that needs to get said. Um, I will seek to be surrendered. I'll seek to be available for it. Um, I will continue to give you the burden of it. So I don't have to worry about how am I doing? How's this going? Is this going okay? It's just, God, that's in your hands. My only job is uh, to be available to you through it and to be surrendered to you in it. And those are conversations that we all can have together all the time. Yeah. So when it comes down to formation and discipleship, people often ask me, um, what's the, why do we have two terms? How would, you, how would you discern between those two? Because it, it, that is critical to this discussion of life in the, in the kingdom is we use, sometimes we use the term discipleship and sometimes we talk about spiritual formation. How do you distinguish between those two you things? Know, words always take on baggage. And uh, unfortunately, in our day, a lot of times people will think of discipleship as going through a navigator's curriculum at 6.30 on Friday at Denny's. 
and spiritual formation is for people who like to read Henry Nowen and uh, <laughs> learn how to do contemplation. Uh, let me just let me just stop you and say that uh, the opinions on Denny's reflected by this guest are not exactly the opinions of the host or the audience. So I'm all for carry news. on. <laughs> just them how people think about it in their minds. Uh, we got some Grand Slam people here, I'm sure. I, I, I love Denny's. I've been to Denny's many times. <laughs> Took my daughter to Denny's every Friday when she was in high school. Um, uh, the, the two words are intrinsically related, if rightly understood. Um, uh, spiritual formation, to start with that one, because sometimes people aren't real clear on it. Simplest way I know to explain it is there is an outer you. You have a body, and it's being formed or shaped all the time by what I eat, um, whether or not I exercise, how I rest, aging, um, my outsides are being formed for better or worse on purpose or by accident every moment. Um, similarly, uh, you have an inside, you have an unseen dimension, you have a flow of thinking and feeling, desiring and intending, and that inner you or spirit is being formed all the time, becoming more anxious or more confident or more joyful or more lustful. Uh, uh, it's happening for better or worse. It's happening on purpose or by accident. You are receiving a spiritual formation. Conversations that you have, what you read, uh, talking to somebody at work, uh, what you're looking at on your screens. Um, so everybody is receiving a spiritual formation, just like everybody is receiving a physical formation. It is not reserved for um, introverted, introspective white males. Um, it's not reserved for Christians. Everybody is being spiritually formed all the time. A disciple is someone who has put Jesus in charge of their spiritual formation. Um, so... Uh, it is impossible to be a disciple without saying, Jesus, I want you to be the one who is spiritually forming me. If you want to intentionally pursue spiritual formation with Jesus, the only way to do that is by becoming a disciple. So uh, discipleship and spiritual formation, rightly understood, are simply two different ways of talking about precisely the same process. Yeah. That is so good because I can't tell you how many times I hear that question and I'm like, I've got, I, I, let me make you a diagram or maybe we should, I need a napkin. Let's draw some circles. And, but that is, that's incredibly clear. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time oh, to do this. Thank you for having me. It's just been a joy. But I can't let you go without one thing. Yes. You as much as you, I know how much you love Dallas. Is there a is there a Dallas quote that comes to mind that uh, a lot of my folks who are listening, some of them have know who Dallas is, some of them don't. Mm -hmm. Is there a quote that you have in your head right now that they're like, this is a Dallas quote that probably needs to be shared today? Well, I'll say that, but one of them, uh, many many years ago, when I was describing what life was like, we had moved, lots of stuff going on, little kids. What do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? Long pause, and then Dallas said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And, uh, you know, that one I've thought about literally thousands of times. And uh, if folks want some good wisdom and they take nothing else from this conversation, hurry, he would say, is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life 
And I'd love to see more about that, but I got to go. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. See you, Case. Thanks. And that, that was a conversation with John Ortberg. Uh, I hope that was helpful to you. I'm glad John took the time, had some time to talk. That was really cool. His new book, uh, Eternity in Session, is in session. Eternity is in session, as I should say, is available now. So you can go get that on Amazon, wherever you find books. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. I, I hope this has been a helpful thing. We're, we're getting deep into the season. Um, towards the end. I am going to take a break coming up here probably in the middle of November, right around Thanksgiving, and then we'll come back at the beginning of the year. I've got a few more episodes between now and then, but um, thank you again for listening. If you subscribe, thank you so much. If you don't, that's great too, but consider subscribing. Also, again, if you listen to the end of this, you know, I would love to have a review um, on iTunes, a rating on iTunes. That would be great. That helps people. Um, it actually helps people know that the podcast is here so that they can uh, listen to it as well. And it also helps me know what you like, what you don't like, and some of the things that I could change to make this a better conversation because that's what matters most. So until we talk again, friends, be well, live wisely. Peace. Peace.